0: You're listening to So Money, everybody. Can you believe it? Episode 995. Five more to go till we hit the 1000th mark. And I'm crowdsourcing what to do for that episode. You know, my thought initially was to get some big celebrity. It doesn't look like it's going to work out timing wise. Uh, but good news when I asked you all what you'd like for me to do for the 1000th episode, I asked on Instagram. And just, you know, asking around in in real life, people have said, you know what, talk about you and we'd like to learn more about your background and what's going on in your life and maybe have uh, some of your family members on the show or back on the show and my kids too. Uh, People want to hear from my kids. (laughs) So the good news is, is that I can do that. Uh, I don't need to, uh, you know, entice some fancy celebrity to come on my show and I'm going to do that. And I'm also going to, in honor of you know, the community, you're, you guys, you gals who have supported the show for five years, some of you just coming on board now, uh, but many of you have been here since day one, January 15th, 2015, I believe it was, or maybe it was January 14th. It was five years ago. And many of you have stuck with the show uh, and I'm grateful and I want to give back um, so we're going to have some prizes to the for the community and then some other cool announcements. So stay tuned for that. That's five episodes away. It's going to be here before we know it. I think like in, <laughs> in like a week and a half. So I need to get cracking on that. But thank you to everybody who's been giving me some feedback on what to do. I want to make it special. Someone said make it two or four hours long. I don't think I can do that, but I will make it a little bit, a little bit longer than usual. How often do you cross a one thousandth episode threshold? And this fun fact: uh, today, I got an email from a producer at the Webby Awards who personally reached out to me and said that one of their, I guess, one of their board members ha- had asked for uh, someone at the Webby organization uh, to reach out to me to apply to hopefully get nominated for an award. Um, So this was exciting. Um, For those of you who don't know what the Webby Awards are, this uh, started many years ago and was initially uh, designed to celebrate many videos online, sort of like the Emmys, but for the web. And it has expanded to include podcasts now. So honored that someone thought of me and thought to reach out to me and ask to apply. Doesn't mean I'm going to get nominated. Doesn't mean I'm going to win, but it did feel nice to get that email and I will be applying. So thanks to uh, the person at the Webby's organization who uh, was noticing that you know I'm still around. (laughs) It would be cool to win something uh, at this stage though. Please and thank you. A number of questions this week, and I'm really excited to say that you know, the questions are not your run-of-the-mail questions in terms of like, what is a Roth IRA or should I open up a Roth IRA? While many of you are new to the show, a lot of you have been listening for many months and years, and admittedly, the questions can feel redundant, and or at least the advice can sometimes feel redundant. So this week, today, I'm hoping to offer some fresh advice with some different kinds of questions, but before we get to the mailbag, I want to go, drum roll, to the iTunes section and pick our reviewer of the week. This person will receive a free 15-minute money session with me on the phone, voice to voice, talking about what is on your money mind. I'm going to pick Wendy, who left a review on January 11th. She says, this show has changed my life and my hope for our future. She says, thank you for this amazing podcast. I binged episodes episodes, and it gave me the confidence to move forward with my budgeting and finance. You introduced me to a budget mom and I've been following her and doing her paycheck to paycheck budgeting. I have zero credit card debt and I finally have savings. Thanks to your podcast, I have also started my daughter's 529 plan. Thank you for all the information and I'm learning at 31 years old so many things I was never taught. Love this podcast. Wendy. Wendy. Thank you so much. I'm glad that, you know, I'm able to introduce you to such resources. Uh, Budget Mom is super popular. So let's get in touch. The best way is either to direct message me on Instagram at Farnoosh Tarabi or email me Farnoosh at Farnoosh.tv. Let me know that you're Wendy, you left a message on iTunes or a review on iTunes and that you are following up and I will send you a scheduling link. So that you can pick a time to talk to me. All right, going to the mailbag. I'm going to hit up Facebook, which I haven't done in a while. And I apologize. There's sort of a backlog of questions on Facebook. It's not the best way to reach me. I'm spending less time on Facebook these days. Tell me I'm not alone. More time on Instagram and email is always great. You can also go to the website and click on Ask for Farnoosh and drop me your question there. You can leave me a voicemail. I love getting voicemails. But Krista on Facebook wants to know what she should do with her house. And you know, I'm moving, right? So I'm loving these real estate questions. She says The housing market in my area has gone up significantly, and the house that we currently live in, this price range sells within days of listing. Wow, hot market. I don't think you're in New York (laughs) because that is not what is happening here. She says, we had planned to sell anyhow within the next two years to get a house that's more suited to our needs. Should we sell this year and pay off all our debt with the equity we gained in our house? Mortgage rates are around 2.5% and our lines of credit are around 10%. And we are roughly $60,000 owing on those. Uh, both my husband and I make a decent salary, ninety five thousand each. We know if we buckle down, we could pay off the debt in two years or so while living here. But would it be smarter to pay off the debt with our equity and live in a better suited and more expensive house? Okay, I'm looking at your debt, and I'm thinking if the market is really hot right now, and you were to list, and you were to, you know, be able to get a really great price tons of equity and pay off your debt and get rid of that icky 10% on that $60,000 that you owe, well, wouldn't that be a nice jumpstart to the rest of your life? You just need to have a plan, right? So if their house does sell within a week and then you close within 30 or 60 days, like where are you going to move? And I mean, if the rental market is strong, then you I would suggest you rent For a while, until you rebuild your savings, rent somewhere where your housing costs are less than what you're paying now, if possible, save the difference, and then start to save again towards a down payment for your future home. And I'm hoping that the equity that you pull out of this current home would be more than enough to pay off the debt and park some of that somewhere, maybe in like a one-year CD that is kind of your future home down payment account. So it's earning a little bit more than the standard, like almost 0% in a checking account or savings account. You might be able to get um, upwards of 1% or 2% in the CD, depending on the term and the amount that you're depositing. And this is sort of the jigsaw puzzle that I'm putting together. It's like you've got the debt over here, this credit card debt, you've got all this equity in your home. Down the road, you've got this future plan of owning another house, like your forever house perhaps. And the home that you're sitting on right now is sort of making you cash poor, house rich, cash poor, right? As the saying goes. So if it was truly your plan to sell within the next two years and now just seems like the hottest time to do it, or just a good time to do it, you can cash out and be happy with that and then do things with it, like pay down the debt, which is really expensive. You're carrying a lot of of uh, that, a uh, 10%, that's a lot. Um and then maybe have some left over for savings. I think that's a good plan. I mean, to be honest, that's kind of what we're doing. We're not paying down debt, but we're cashing out and then renting for a little bit and then buying again, because we just kind of need that cushion. And it's hard, especially in New York, to time the sale and the purchase of a home so that you can do it all with the money in the bank. I mean, most people, including our family like we need the equity to be able to make money moves. The next money move we don't have you know we're not sitting on like all these millions of dollars where we can, oh well whenever the current home sells, but in the meantime I'm going to buy this property over here. So, I think it's prudent to take this in steps, take this in stride. But my one piece of advice is to have a plan. If things are going to move quickly for you, you want to be able to feel like you're going to fall into a plan that makes sense, whether that's a great rental, you know, some sort of transition before you move up and move out to your next home. But I'm excited for you. I really like this question because it's not something you can just Google. Like you can't ask Google like should I sell my house to pay off my debt? And, you know, this. technically speaking, yes, it makes sense, but this is your home that we're talking about. So it helps to kind of run it past a human. I'm honored that you thought of me to ask this question, and hopefully that was helpful to you. All right, Krista, good luck to you and your family. Rachel emails... Farnoosh at Farnoosh.tv. And she says, I recently received $30,000 as a huge gift to help with a down payment of a house in the future. I'm currently 23 and I'm not really thinking about buying a house in the near future. And I've been advised that I shouldn't invest this money, but rather put it somewhere where it's safe. I'm thinking about opening up a new savings account because all my current bank accounts have really low interest rates. So I'm curious, what other factors should I consider when choosing a savings account? Why wouldn't people just choose the highest interest rate? I've also been told that uh, CDs are uh, a good place to park your cash, but I'm not really sure what the differences are. Thank you. Well, first of all, Rachel, 30 grand as a a nice gift uh, to help with the down payment of a home in the future you're 23 and if this is not the right time for you to buy, I would say don't. I I'm not going to, you know, be one of those older millennials on the brink of Gen X that's like, buy a house. It's absolutely the best way to build wealth. Well, look, I think that baby steps, right? So let's park this somewhere where it's going to be safe and where it could grow more than it would at a plain vanilla savings account. It's $30,000. Because it's a decent amount of money, you might qualify for some deposit accounts or CDs, certificates of deposit that would earn you a little bit more than the standard interest rate or rather savings rate. So I'm just going to do a quick bankrate.com search for you just to see what's out there for someone with like a $30,000 balance. So that's step number one. Just have you done a little bit of comparing online. You can go to a site like Bankrate. You can go to a site like NerdWallet. I'm on Bankrate right now. I'm clicking on, their home page. has a bunch of different places I can go. I clicked on savings your deposit amount is $30,000. So I'm putting that into their calculator. You want to search by savings rates, and then you can type in your zip code. And it's going to f- tell you that you can get, let's say at one bank, almost 2% on your money with $35,000. What is that? That's 700 bucks in interest not bad. Uh, There's another account that's going to maybe earn you 1.7%. Now, these are are savings accounts. Now, CDs, different. And how are they different, right? Now, you could Google this, but I'm going to tell you a certificate of deposit is different than a savings account in that a certificate of deposit has a defined term. Whereas a savings account, you can keep the money in there for as long as you want. You can take the money out however you like. With a CD, there are rules around, uh, you know, how long you keep the money in the account, what is the interest, and what is the term. It's very specific. So there's like one-year CDs, two-year CDs, five-year CDs. You put money in it, and the bank will guarantee you a rate of return. Other bank accounts, like savings accounts, checking accounts, their returns Will fluctuate and they can. They're allowed to do that. So you could open one up, and they're going to tell you, "Oh, it's two percent savings." And then in six months, uh, you know, the Fed lowers rates and it goes to you know one point eight percent or one point five percent. So they have that uh, they have that privilege. They have that opportunity to change the rate on you. In a CD, they cannot change the rate. You're locked into that rate. It's a guaranteed rate of return, which is great. The caveat is if you take the money out before the term ends, there's usually penalties on that. It totally negates it. You end up sometimes losing money uh, when you pull out early. So that's the catch. It's not meant to be a gotcha, it's just how it works. You get this guaranteed rate of return. In exchange, you need to promise to keep that money with the bank for the duration. benefit from it. So in your case, because you're not looking to do anything with this money right now, could you park it somewhere for a year or two and, and be okay, that this is not going to be something you're going to have access to? If the answer is yes, then I would look into a CD because the rates tend to be higher and also locked in than a traditional savings account. Online banks tend to have better rates than brick and mortar banks, Other factors to consider, I would just make sure that it's FDIC insured, right? So that means that if the bank collapses, which we know at least in my lifetime that has happened, that your money is protected up to, I believe it's $250,000, which is more than what you're talking about here, but always look for the FDIC seal. Um, And I would really just read the fine print. Make sure that if you do open a CD, you know, what are the penalties for early withdrawal? There are also these flex CDs. Have you heard of this? Where you can uh, take the money out, no penalty. Uh, it won't be as high of an interest rate usually because of this flexibility, but usually th- it's still a better rate than a checking account. Anonymous. we got an anonymous question. Hi, Farnish. I love your show. Here's my question. I'm in my early 30s. My husband and I combined make $190,000. We put down 20% for a condo recently, a half a million dollar condo, and we're going to do the same for two more condos at the same price. The first condo is ready by the end of the year, the second one will be ready by the end of 2022, and the third by 2023. We are open to reselling these condos upon completion to make gains or hold and rent them. We wanted to get your thoughts to see if it was wise to get rid of any of these condos. In terms of debt, my husband has 60,000 in student loans. We also have $35,000 in retirement That can be used towards the first condo and $25,000 in investment vehicles. Okay, hold up. I don't think you should use your retirement savings to buy real estate. So leave retirement savings where it is. Just do that because you don't want to compromise your retirement to buy property that sounds like you're not even like That sure you want to do. So, it's an aggressive buying plan, purchasing plan that you guys have got. I mean, you're buying three properties together over the next three years, and they're new development, so they're going to come to market. And honestly, anything could happen between now and the next three years. I don't know where you are and what the market is like. You would know better than I. But I. I would be a little concerned about buying something, putting money into a home today that I'm not even going to be able to touch until 2023. And at that point, will the value go up? Will the value stay the same? Will the value go down? It's anyone's guess. Personally, I don't have the risk tolerance for something like that, that is so down the road and so much money and so uncertain. Maybe you just do this first one and see how it goes. This is really aggressive. Do you guys have experience buying property? Is this like what you do? Are you looking to build a portfolio? Is this money that you absolutely need? Uh, Are you riding on this as a, hopefully because it's gonna give you a return? What would happen if it didn't? Have you thought about that? So you have $60,000 in student loans. I think it sounds like you wanna get rid of that sooner rather than later. Why be so aggressive? Why do you got to get three? You know, maybe start with the one and see how it goes. And if the price does appreciate over the next couple of years, you pull that, you sell it, you pull some of the equity out, you pay off the student loans or some of them, and then you can use some of that equity to buy your next home. You know, like I I think if you've got 20% for a half a million dollar condo and then you want to do this again two more times, I'd say, you know what, maybe first. Pay off the student loans before you go by the second and third house. It's always better to make these kinds of investments when your balance sheet is is healthier, right? when you don't have the debt. So in my in my view, personally, I wouldn't want to get so aggressive down the investing path uh, until i I know that I really have a handle on my debt. Um, you know sixty thousand dollars in student loans, that's fifteen hundred dollars a month that you're putting towards it. I think uh, you might want to prioritize that before going for the other two homes. Just my thoughts. Thanks for your question. Connor writes in and says, hey, Furnish, I'm a new listener and I really enjoy the Friday Ask Furnish episodes. Thanks, Connor. He says, I'm not sure if I'm your target audience. I'm 21 and I'm in college. I have no student debt because I joined the Air National Guard to cover my tuition. I actually get paid $700 a month just for being enrolled in school. Well, lucky you. He says, very lucky, I know. I, he says, I'm fortunate to still be under my parents' insurance. They pay my phone bill, car bill, all the things. So my only expenses are rent, food, gas, and beer. Thanks for your honesty. Connor says, I feel like this is the perfect time for me to get ahead financially before I enter the real world after college. And although I'm a finance major, my real goal is to build enough wealth to be my own boss running my own business someday. I just unloaded $6,000 in a Roth IRA, so my checking account is a lot lower than I'd like at the moment. Do you have any tips on how I can make some extra money to get ahead financially before I graduate? All right. So you're making $700 a month. That's more than most college students, I would say. And I know that a lot of that you just put towards the Roth, but as you continue to earn, I would say park that money and don't touch it. Keep it somewhere, liquid, safe, FDIC insured, because here's the thing. When you graduate and so great that you're not going to have student loan debt, you will need cash. You're going to need cash to put money down for a lease to relocate, move, buy a new car, put gas in the car, feed yourself. And yeah, you'll probably have a great job when you graduate. You sound like a smart guy, but ask anyone who's 30 and what they wish they had more of when they were 22, and they'll say money. (laughs) Not so much time because you have a lot of time actually in your 20s. It's money. I would just say from experience that if you have this great opportunity right now to be earning money from your school, $700 a month, then just save that. You asked about other ways to make money. I can tell you when I was in college, I did this thing called Nittany Notes. I don't know if you have a similar thing on campus where you take notes from your class, you type them up real pretty and you send them in to this company that then sells them as sort of the cliff notes for the class that they missed <laughs> to students. And they sell study guides and there's now virtual online platforms that basically do what Nittany Notes does for Penn State where a lot of these classes whether you're at one school or another a lot of the classes teach the same curriculum they take, they teach from the same textbook and, and so there are these online retailers that receive submissions from students their notes and then they go and sell those back to the student population and you can make you know depending on depending on the subject depending on the popularity of the class you could make upwards of you know 70 80 bucks per notes per class notes. And then um, at Penn State, if uh, my notes led to a really strong class average for a test or for the semester, I would get a bonus. I also worked at the school newspaper. I worked on the ad sales team, made commissions selling advertising for my college newspaper. I worked in a restaurant, had a lot of jobs in college I did telemarketing for about six minutes. I did not last as a telemarketer. um, I fell prey to all the ads that said I could become rich overnight. I was 19. But there's a lot of money-making opportunities in college. You could pet sit, you could babysit, you could tutor, you could find a work study on campus. Ask your friends, what are they doing? Are they bartending? Are they working in restaurants? Can they refer you? Sometimes the best ways to get into a store or in retail or a restaurant work is through friend recommendations. People who work there who say, hey, I've got this great friend. He's responsible. He's a stand-up person let's hire him. So that's the exercise. You just got to put yourself out there and keep an eye out for jobs. So good of you to start that Roth IRA now. If you can keep that going from now until you know the next 40 years, wow, I'm not worried about you. And then to fuel your plans to be an entrepreneur, I can tell you that, again, many entrepreneurs, what they wish they had more of in the beginning was cash. Cash is king when you're trying to start a business. You don't have to rely on debt, You know, people giving you their money, and then you know the stress of trying to pay them back. Many first-time business owners have to raise money somehow, and they often do it through friends and family. They sometimes go into credit card debt. And so if you don't have to do that, you have such a leg up. Uh, and I think that financial runway when you're starting a business is paramount. Um, And if you don't have cash to play around with to allow you to test ideas and pursue your business with less stress, it's a huge gift. So that's all I want to say to you is just save your money. And don't be worried about investing it so much right now. I mean, yes, invest in the Roth IRA when you start making that paycheck, that first paycheck, the real first paycheck, invest 10, 15% of it every single time, but always, always carve out a little bit for your savings. And if you want to be an entrepreneur, I would say that before that happens, before that transition, try to have about one year's worth of financial runway in your bank account so that if you aren't working and aren't bringing in any money as you pursue this idea this this big idea that you've got that you can pay your bills and not go into debt for about 12 months because it may take that much time before you make money from your business idea could take longer but connor you are you may not be the average age of my audience but i like where your head's at and i hope that you'll continue to be a listener on this show thank you so much and keep us posted and then last but not least, we have a question from Jessica. She says, I'm 30 years old and I've got zero debt, 10000 in savings. I just started my own business as a flower farmer and floral designer. Way to go. I live on Cape Cod, where real estate is very expensive. Recently, my boyfriend of eight years was approached by his parents with an offer to help him buy a house here. The house in question is about $700,000 after closing costs and some renovations, which they have agreed to sponsor as well. That's very nice of them. The mortgage and control of the property would be in the name of his parents. Ah. Equity for the house would then be transferred to my boyfriend starting after 10 years in exponential increments every year starting at 10%. We are in a decent place financially. Neither one of us has debt. Is this a deal from his parents that we should take? And how can I protect myself and my finances given that I won't be receiving any equity? This is interesting. So you have a business, which you know you want to be in control of, and hopefully will be a great way to build wealth for yourself and your family in the future. And your boyfriend, meantime, is being given the gift of real estate. And it's a bit of a gift with some golden handcuffs, it seems like, where his parents uh, will be the sort of owners of this house, right? And they're going to transfer the equity to him, but only after 10 years. This is a serious conversation that you want to have with your boyfriend. I mean, at the end of the day, do you guys want to live in a house that's being controlled by his parents where they have the deed, they have the mortgage? It just, personally, it wouldn't sit well with me. I want to build a life with my partner together and not feel like we have to answer financially to his parents, right? It. I feel like it's going to create a lot of discomfort. And the fact that you're even asking this question suggests to me that you know this too. You know that this could potentially create problems, conflict, complexities. Is there a scenario where they could buy this house it's in their name, they've got the mortgage. Could they rent it out and collect on that and help them pay the mortgage? You have nothing to do with the house until in 10 years they're ready to sort of pass it down to their son, which sounds like kind of what it is. It's sort of like a an exit strategy on this house or an inheritance that they want to leave for their son. I just worry about commingling your finances and your life with in laws with parents, even your own parents. If these were your parents, what would you think? What would your boyfriend think? I mean, you're living in a house that's not your mortgage, it's not your deed. You've it's like you're being you're basically tenants to the parents, right? With the intention that in ten years, your then perhaps husband or still boyfriend will start to earn some of the equity that is built up in the home. Okay. At that point, if you're married and he's receiving this money, you might want to look into a prenuptial agreement uh, because that is the only way that we can know for sure that this money that your boyfriend will be receiving, if he's your husband at that point, it's a little bit more complex. If he's still your boyfriend, then maybe it's fine. But if you're officially lawfully married, then money that comes into the marriage whether it's from parents or a job or wherever, the lottery, I believe that that it, it doesn't necessarily just belong to one person, even though maybe the check was just written to him. That it depends on your state's laws, and if it's there's any confusion, you might want to draft a prenup. For you, as a business owner, very important to draft a prenup before you get married. If you want to keep this business and its earnings and your investments in it, yours in the event of a divorce. And I know a lot of business owners, men, women who do this, it's kind of protocol because you're going into the marriage with perhaps years of putting your blood, sweat, and tears into this business. And it's your baby. Um, And frankly, if you get divorced, like your partner is not going to have anything to do with the business unless he's actually working for you or with you in the business. So why should he get any of it or why should she get any of it right so but you have to protect it in the form of a prenuptial agreement usually more often than not so that would be my advice to you but going back to this whole parents buying a house you living in it i mean if you're okay with being a renters rather than the two of you buying a home together building equity in that house and sharing in that equity you have to have some more conversations Maybe I'm not seeing the whole picture here, but just from what you're telling me, it sounds like this might be a bit of a challenge down the road. All right, Jessica, thank you so much for your question. And thank you to everybody for tuning in. I hope you've got a nice weekend planned. This week, we wrapped financial bingo at Luminary, my first ever attempt to combine bingo with financial literacy. It went super well. Lots of pictures on social media. If you are interested in having me come to your next event, offsite, mom's night out, church outing. I'm there with my bingo ball cage and my financial bingo cards. I got this game down, packed, and I want to make it a thing in 2020. So let me know. I'm for hire. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. I hope your weekend is so money.